Thank you for listening to the Grace Church of Mapton podcast. This week's sermon by Andy Juris covers Mark 2, 1 through 12. Thanks for listening. Okay. Oh, uh, first time using this. What could go wrong? I was talking with uh, uh, Connie before the service. We are discussing all the various aspects, how this could go poorly. And uh, uh, I always told her, I always pray, God, you know, put, put your words in my mouth. So if I, when I say something stupid, it's your fault. Uh, so so that's, that's always been my prayer, right? You know, Mark is kind of an uh, interesting book to teach out of. It's, uh, it's uh, Everett and I were talking about this last week. It's a bit of a, a difficult book to teach out of because it's so quick. I mean... Mark's just kind of, here's a situation, something happened, boom, the end. And uh, it's not one of those uh, things you want to take a deep dive into and you, know, and you have a lot of material to work with. And, and Adam will make it look easy. And, and for all of you who came this morning and are disappointed, he'll be back uh, next week, so don't worry. And uh, so hopefully I won't, uh, he texted me this morning, you know, good luck preaching this morning. And I went, that's today? So... So he's fasting and praying as we speak. So uh, let's take a look at this uh, story that Paul just read for us uh, in Mark. So uh, I guess, have you ever looked forward to something? Have you ever really looked forward to something? And, and so on the good side of looking forward to something, it was a gift, right? A, a long-awaited item that you were looking forward to. You know, with a lot of kids can talk about the anticipation of Christmas morning. Um, maybe it was a relationship, right? Uh, someone, you couldn't wait to be married to someone, right? Maybe you had always been attracted to someone and, you know, Friday night's the, the big date night. And it's just something you've been really, uh, really looking forward to. We go on and on and on. There's all these vacations, dream homes, uh, dream careers, dream houses, or, or maybe on the not-so-good side, have you ever wanted something desperately because it was needed desperately? We have sickness and loved ones, uh, problems with unemployment, problems in our relationships and marriages, depression, anxiety, elections, right? War, we see right now. It's a long list for all of us here, I'm sure. We all seem to be able to uh, uh, come up with a list of, probably on either side of these things. And, uh, and as we look at these things on our list, things that we've been excited about, things we worked hard for, things we've strived for, dreamed of, maybe attained, or maybe things that kept us up at night that we've cried over, things that have broken our hearts. I look back on a lot myself. You know, I remember wanting to, to fly in the airlines uh, more than anything. It would be the ultimate career. It'd be fun, exciting, profitable, perfect plan, right? Perfect plan. So obviously here I am. You can tell well that worked out. Or maybe uh, 13 years ago, when Jen came down sick with something that we still don't really fully understand, and the person I'd married, who uh, I had known as a happy and active person, suddenly couldn't walk across the room, and the doctors were, at best, a l- just little help, at best. And so have you ever uh, had something, in this case, either that you wanted and were excited about, or maybe something you desperately needed, and it... It was not what you thought, or maybe the problem was worse than you feared. 
Um, sometimes we find things aren't what we wanted at all. And we've probably been there on both sides. Toys get old. You know, Christian video games get played, right? They're not that interesting anymore. Uh, uh, the people that we're attracted to end up having unattractive characteristics. Except Jen, when you're listening to this later, obviously not you, right? Right? Uh, uh, but uh, we can be pretty disappointed in those times. And we have been. We will be. It's part of life. There's lessons to be learned there. And we've been swallowed by our troubles. They've come over us like a tsunami and we're buried under it. We're unable to move. Our lives change suddenly. Uh, we find ourselves lost and unsure of our new reality. Uh, a way forward doesn't seem possible. We can't think. We lose focus on what's going on around us. And, uh, and maybe while there are times where we enjoy or rejoice at what we've dreamed of, uh, there are more important things that we ignore. Or maybe in times of sorrow, we're so caught up in it, there's more important things going around us that we don't see. We're so wrapped up in, in whatever happens, whether it's the culmination of hard work or the miraculous fulfillment of our dreams or desires or needs, that we disregard or completely miss these things that are more important happening right in front of our faces. And, and I've been there. I think it's the human condition. Uh, I don't think that that's anything that you probably haven't seen yourself. Uh, I look back on the things I've missed in my rush through life, and I wonder about what I'm missing today. And this is the aspect I'd like to focus on this morning as we look at this familiar passage to most of us in Mark chapter 2. So last week, uh, we heard from Everett. Uh, he led us through uh, chapter 1 as John the Baptist prepares the way for the Lord. So we saw John the Baptist prophesied in uh, Malachi and several other places that he was coming. And we met him last week at the start of Jesus's, Jesus's, if I can say that right, ministry. After being confirmed by God, the Father himself, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus begins his work on earth. So, going forward in Mark chapter 1, we see a temptation. Okay, we see the temptation of Christ, the calling of Simon and Andrew. Uh, he casts out a demon in the synagogue in Capernaum. And to the other amazement of the crowd, he then goes on to heal many uh, other people and cast out even more evil spirits. He moves on to Galilee, doing many of the same things, including the healing of a leper. Uh, this man was charged by Christ to say nothing to anyone about what had happened to him, but to simply present himself to the local priest and provide proof that he was clean from disease. And of course, he immediately left and began to talk freely, and news spread far and wide. I'm guessing this community wasn't all that different from Bickleton. There's just no way you would have kept them, something like that under wraps in Bickleton, right? But with all of this hubbub, people began to come from all over to see Jesus. He couldn't travel openly in towns as the crowds became too immense, and everyone pressed forward to see the man who could do the impossible. He could fulfill the impossible dream of healing and, uh, and have their own sickness taken away. So Jesus and his disciples had to stay out in the wilderness, or desolate places, it says in Mark. And uh, while Jesus was in many or most cases, willing and happy to heal the people of their illnesses, he had a much larger concern for them, a much larger concern. One uh, that they were missing and was more pressing than they really ever knew, and it's the same one we have today, which brings us to our first point today, what do we want from God? So now we come to Mark chapter 2. Okay? 
In verse 1, we find that Christ has once again entered Capernaum after spending some time out in the wilderness. And once again, word spread fast that the healer had returned to town. And people came from all throughout the area. The man who had cast out a demon in, verse, uh, in chapter 1, verse 28, was now known well throughout the region of Galilee. And the house that they were in was quickly filled and was so packed, in fact, that Scripture says there was no more room at all. Right? Even the door was blocked. And Jesus was taking this opportunity to preach to them. And we saw earlier that wherever Jesus went, the crowds now followed. And he was constantly petitioned uh, to cast out evil spirits, uh, to heal the sick and lame and fix what was broken. And these requests were so constant and so pressing that they were starting to become a distraction, in a, in a sense, from his true purpose and the reason that he had come into the world. And uh, so we see him here in the middle of this crowd. It's a captive audience and uh, hardly able to move. And while we don't know exactly what words he was speaking to them, we see him preaching the word. And we saw earlier in chapter 1 that he was, uh, desire, his desire was to speak the gospel, right? the good news, that God was going to redeem his people. So in many times in our lives, and maybe now for a lot of us, we're like these people. We're afflicted with a problem, or something we can't fix, something that's left us broken. Uh, perhaps we feel without hope. Uh, many of the illnesses in Christ's day were incurable. Okay? Medical science wasn't what it is today. And these people were left to die alone, cast aside by friends and family as they themselves didn't want to become sick, uh, especially in the case of leprosy. And have you ever felt like these people? I think most of us have at one point in our lives. And if you haven't, you probably will. I can think to some specific times in my life. And at these times, I have looked to God for help, for healing, uh, for a miracle. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. God is the healer. Christ is our Savior. And the Bible is full of men and women who've experienced healing and restoration in very miraculous ways. Perhaps it's because of this knowledge and the knowledge that God is able to heal our wounds, whether it be physical or emotional, with his power that we tend to let that be our sole focus often. I know in my case that, that's been the case. And if only God would heal me, right? If only he would heal my wife. If only he would allow it to rain on our crops, bring us wealth and security, then everything will be okay. Everything will be fine. And this train of thought for me has led to an almost singular focus where my relationship with God is defined by what I need or, or more what I want, what I want. Scripture is filled with promises that God will provide for us. Matthew 6, 8 says he knows what we need before we even ask him. Psalm 37, 4 says to delight in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our hearts. And then there's the famous passage of Romans 8, 32 where we see that if he didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also generously give us all things? All things. Interesting. So we know we serve a generous and gracious God who has promised to heal, provide, and sustain us. And that's true. That's true, every bit of it. But what happens when after looking forward to all this, it doesn't seem to happen? Or maybe something happens, but it wasn't what I was expecting. 
What am I missing? It's pretty clear. It's pretty clear that day as the friends hauled their paralytic friends, that group of friends, it's pretty clear what they were thinking as they approached the house. The great healer was back. Jesus was, was in the house. And their friend, a person who they loved and cared about, needed him. Jesus was their only hope. Jesus was his only hope. And it was clear from the crowd inside the house and probably spilling out into the street that there was no way they were going to be able to see Christ. All right, How are they going to carry their friend on his bed through them? And houses in the ancient world at this time often had an outside stair that would go up to the roof. Okay? Unlike today, uh, the roofs of houses they were tended to be flat and maybe slightly domed, but they served a very functional purpose. Uh, food was cured and prepared. Laundry was dried. Uh, people would often sleep, actually, on the roof of the house on a clear summer night. It was, I mean, the houses tend to be stuffy, no AC or anything like that. So they would sleep out there on uh, summer nights. Uh, roofs were composed of wood beams that had layers of sticks and sometimes tiles or straw, dirt and clay. Uh, so think some kind of thatched roof kind of thing. So it wasn't a solid roof like what we have here. And so it was the, with this in mind, the group of friends decided that through the roof was the only way their paralyzed friend was going to be able to see Jesus. He was their only hope. Healing power was what they wanted from this man. And this is what they thought their friend needed more than anything. So, so we come to our second point of what does Christ offer us, or what did Christ offer this man? The original language here gives us a more accurate picture. Okay, the original language that this was written in gives us a more accurate picture. So the Greek talks about uh, what happens next. They didn't just casually and slowly take apart the roof. Okay, they broke through with force, and this makes sense to me. I remember once seeing a, a Bible movie from that great era of Bible movies, the 60s and 70s, right? Where Jesus, who is like a seven-foot-tall white guy with long hair and an odd light bulb that you can't quite see out of camera, all shining at an angle onto his face. Whenever he spoke, and his, his face was just wooden, right? Just, uh, yeah, and he's sitting there teaching... And in this story, the friends are taking apart the roof very slowly. And Jesus just acts like nothing's happening. Right? He continues talking. And then slowly, <laughs> the paralytic gets let down. And he just kind of eventually looks over, forsooth. You know? and, and that's not what happened at all. Right? We see this in the Greek. They broke through with force. They punched through with determination. They knew this was a one-way deal as they let their friend down. Right? They're not going to haul him back out through the roof. There's only one way out after this. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that being God, none of this was a surprise to Jesus. Mark says that when they let down the paralytic, he saw their faith. Right? Jesus looked up at the men struggling with the crude ropes tied to the stretcher. And uh, here, were, here were people who had heard about him. They believed he could heal their friend. And that belief, that faith took decisive and significant action, right? With no thought as to what the repercussions might be because they broke through a roof, right? What they might be, uh, they had taken a leap of faith. This was what he was looking for, right? Faith that was real. Faith that resulted in follow-through actions. I'm sure everyone else was probably taken aback by all this sudden activity. Here was a cripple, a sick person, beyond all help, 
what was he doing up here? What, what, what was he, who left this desirable in? I'm sorry, this undesirable in. Undesirable person. You know, so maybe it was quiet. You know, we've been in those situations where something weird happens, everybody just kind of shocked silence, right? Maybe everybody was talking at the same time. At any rate, I'm guessing they all wanted to know what Jesus was going to say. So what do these men hear when Jesus finally speaks? Right? He looks at them, and uh, his words are, Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I, I would imagine, this is just me imagining this scenario, but I imagine it was quiet for a moment. This was a shocking thing to hear. And we know from Mark that some of the scribes took immediate exception to what Christ said. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they were right. They were right. No one but God alone could forgive sins. And their misunderstanding and later their downfall was that they didn't understand who Christ was. Later, they would refuse to accept him even though they knew who he was. And so what about the paralytic and his friends? Now, this is where Mark just kind of says, this happened. And we don't know from Mark what they thought at these words. And I don't want to blaspheme myself and add to Scripture. But many commentators have asked this question, and most that I read came to the same conclusion I did. I would have been, frankly, I would have been disappointed. I would have been disappointed. Here, here was Jesus, the teacher, the healer, cousin to John the Baptist, a man on whom God's power and favor seemed to lie. Okay? These guys were not of the social elite. They might face consequences for what they had done. They'd taken a risk. And after all of that, instead of healing the man, their friend that they had done this for, Jesus had forgiven his sins. What did that even mean? I mean, who does this man think he is? I mean, sure, a teacher... Maybe a prophet. I mean, someone God's power clearly lies on, but God himself is ridiculous. What a letdown. We don't need this man's forgiveness. We need, we want his healing. And if only that would happen, then everything would be made right. So what do you think he needed more? I mean, you picture this. Here's a man lying paralyzed on the floor. The plight of the sick and the lame was much worse than it is today. As we saw earlier, these people were ostracized from their communities. They're regarded as unclean, simply too much to, to care for and feed. This person's need was obvious to everybody in the room. Healing was what he needed, what he wanted, or was it? So we come to our third point. Was forgiveness sufficient? Mark says that Jesus immediately perceived the questions swirling around him. Addressing the scribes, he said, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? Jesus knew the scribes were already questioning him. And obviously both actions of forgiving sin and healing uh, were things that only God could accomplish. So he followed, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, right? And now the suspense builds. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Mark tells us that he rose, the paralytic rose and went out before them all. 
And everyone was amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. And the story ends right there. So a happy end of this little story, right? Men of faith, Jesus forgives, the lame walk. We all go home today, right? Feeling happy that we know how the system works. Have faith, act on that faith, right? Receive forgiveness, have our huge crushing problems taken away miraculously. It's an equation, right? Except it doesn't always work that way, does it? Sometimes God does indeed work in miraculous ways. Uh, sometimes it's, he works in amazing ways. Maybe it's not a miracle like the lame walking, but God faithfully helping us in our times of need. But there are also times when the thing we want so badly goes unfixed. The need seems to go unaddressed. Our loved ones don't get better. Our lives don't turn out the way that we, they, uh, that we prayed that, so much that they would. So I have to ask, if Jesus had not healed the paralytic, if, if he had stopped short of that, would he have been better off? Now most, if not all of us, would say, oh yes, yes, because this is church. And this is the answer that we say in church, right? But outside of these walls, I must admit that there have been times in my life when I was not so sure. Here I am in my troubles, lying on this makeshift bed like the paralytic. You have the power to heal me and fix my problem, and you say my sins are forgiven? I'm left disappointed. I'm left disillusioned, uh, probably angry. My experience is that many other Christians in America have had this exact same experience themselves. And many times it's just not something we talk openly about, especially at church. My wife, uh, who is a much wiser person than myself, has told me on one, uh, more than one occasion, many, many times, uh, that uh, when a Christian, okay, so one who has accepted God's gift of salvation, uh, is unsatisfied with the life that God has given them, they often have a couple common issues. They have a lot of issues, actually, uh, but a couple of them always seem to come up in common. One, they do not appreciate how offensive their sin is before God. And two, they do not understand or appreciate the magnitude of Jesus looking at each one of us and saying, and at our sin, and saying, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay? Now that we've lived in the years, uh, years after the cross, it's become easy for us to dismiss the severity of our sin. Okay? Prior to Christ, the Israelites had a very vivid picture of what the cost was for their sin. It was the shedding of innocent blood, okay? the, the shedding of innocent blood of animals. And even during that time when sacrifices were required to cover sin, uh, even during that time, they still managed to take God's mercy for granted. The Bible, the Old Testament's full of that. So how many times have we, and will we in the future, with ignorance and selfishness, look at a perfect, holy, almighty God and think, I'm not that bad. I mean, I'm certainly not as bad as that bow's over there, right? At least I'm trying to be a good person, uh, I'm, and I'm pretty honest about my shortcomings. I'm pretty honest with, with God about that stuff. I mean, I, it's like we get partial credit, right? How many times have I, with this mindset then, dismissed the unimaginable forgiveness of sin and looked 
at God with anger and said, well, that's nice. I mean, all this forgiveness stuff is nice, I guess. But if it doesn't rain, I'm not going to have a crop. If this person doesn't get better, our lives won't go the way I planned out. Why is God holding out on me? Why is God holding out on me? And uh, usually I have a long list of a lot of folks that I'm clearly better than that seem to be doing just fine, right? Why is God holding out on me? Right there is a lie as old as time. We first saw it in Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. That's where Satan convinces Eve that God is not dealing generously and honestly with her. And over the centuries, it's been used again and again and again up to this present day. I'd say it's pretty effective. I'd say it's very effective. Effective to the point where it can make us stare directly at the forgiveness of God with disappointment. As if somehow we were cheated out of a good life. And we saw earlier that scripture is chock full of verses regarding the goodness of God. Phrases like, he who gives us all things permeate the Bible. And he truly has. He truly has. Uh, For if all Jesus had ever done was forgive our sins and then walk away and leave us, that alone would have been the greatest gift beyond all imagination. Right there in that moment, we truly would have all things because everything else wouldn't matter. He doesn't stop there, however. And while there may have been times where he didn't intervene in the way he did with the paralytic, he has still blessed my life, blessed our lives beyond what we could have ever imagined. And he has been faithful to me in ways I couldn't have possibly deserved or foreseen. And as the older I get, uh, this often I, I, it takes time, I notice, to, to see a lot of this stuff. It's, it's a shocking reality. So we have to look then at our next point, a life lived for Christ in the light of truth. So that asks another question. What would the life of a disciple of Christ, what would that look like if we truly understood the value of what we've been given? How would that affect our daily lives? How would that affect the relationships that we have? How would that affect the focus that we go through each day with? What would we focus on? So let's look at a few examples. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is describing a lot of the suffering that he's encountered on his journeys uh, spreading the gospel. He was imprisoned, he was tortured, he was beaten, he was poisoned, shipwrecked, left to starve, abandoned, all kinds of things. Suffered uh, disappointment, um, people that he thought were friends that badmouthed him. I mean, just go on and on and on. And, he, and then in verse 24 of chapter 20, he makes this famous statement. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Also, we see the famous passage then in Philippians. This is again Paul in chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything is loss. Everything is loss, including his own life. Right? And here I am worrying about little things. 
Paul understood the magnitude of what Christ had done because he had so much that he had been forgiven for. Right? Prior to his conversion, we know that he had actively and ruthlessly persecuted the followers of Christ. We see in Acts that he was present at the death of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr uh, recorded to uh, uh, have died for the cause of Christ. And he says he was standing there approving of what was done to him as Stephen died. He was a man uh, who was respected at the time before his conversion. He was respected as one of the ruling religious elite. He was at the top of Jewish society. He had comfort, had wealth, he had power. He was a Roman citizen as well. And because of Christ's death for his sins and the awesome weight of what that meant, he willingly gave it all up when he was confronted with that reality. That reality changed him. And God used that changed man with his focus on Jesus to change the world forever. His missionary career founded churches all across the ancient world, laying the foundation uh, for the church here today. We know uh, uh, that before he died, uh, that uh, for his faith, he was a martyr himself, that Paul proclaimed the gospel to Caesar of Rome himself. And 2,000 years later, we read his words on a continent a world away. So that's what a life lived with a focus on God has done for us. That's what it looks like. We, may not, we probably won't go down in the history like Paul, but that's what it looked like. It changes everything. It changes everything around us. The knowledge that our sins are eternally forgiven and that we will share in the inheritance of Christ uh, for eternity should give us the confidence and joy of Paul. And while our lives will still go on, and trouble and trials will come, they don't destroy us. They don't leave us paralyzed in disappointment and doubt. We have the ultimate prize already. Christ won it for us and then freely gave it to us. So, so where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Today, we looked at a familiar and simple story from Mark. Any of us who grew up in the church uh, has probably heard this many times as children. A paralytic with one of the best group of friends that he could have is lowered through a roof and had his sins forgiven and then was healed to the amazement of everyone. And we talk about faith. We talk about the action that faith, that true faith inspires. We talk about the power of Christ, the doubt of the scribes, and the triumph of Jesus as he shows himself to be God on earth. The promised Savior who can both forgive sins and heal the physical body. We uh, look first, uh, are at the first gift the paralytic was given and considered its value. But what now? What now? Too many Sundays, I sit here and I listen to the music and I hear God's word taught. And I go out of these doors and back to life. And all too often it swallows me back up. Swallows me up. And amid the problems and amid the disappointments, I wonder where this God who is supposed to be so good, where is he? Where is he? Does he care? Is he even there? If you are in this place this morning, take heart. Put yourself down there on the stretcher like the paralytic. Christ is looking down on you in love. His gift of forgiveness is there for anyone who would have faith and believe in him. 
a gift so incredible that countless men and women across the world have willingly given up their lives for its cause. It is still going on today. Many Christians are active in the Ukraine this morning as we speak, compelled by the knowledge of this awesome gift of forgiveness to serve others even at their own deaths. That gift, an eternity with God, so inconceivable, we struggle to comprehend it. It's not, I always thought of it like uh, perhaps an eternal church and a sermon. No, that's not it at all. It's spent with God who knows us better than anyone and has more stored up for us in heaven than the best sunrise on earth will ever hint at. Even more, he continues to bless us in this life. Regardless of our problems, he's always faithful, always loving. And while he doesn't always heal our sickness, and he doesn't keep us from a life of pain and grief and prevent all disappointment, we can live in the realization that the greatest treasure that we could ever attain has already been won. And with that gift comes the promise that one day all wrongs will be made right. All tears wiped away. This life is but a mere second, just a second in the scope of eternity. Anything we face today is inconsequential compared to forever spent with God. Our greatest need, our most dire need has already been met. And we no longer have to fear because of that. Another disciple of Christ, Peter, left us with these words in 1 Peter 5, uh, 10 through 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, I certainly know I couldn't improve on that. So, so let's leave here this morning with, with this in mind. Let's take heart. Be encouraged. Turn to God with renewed appreciation for what he has done for us and find comfort in it. Let's let it change our lives like Mark and Paul and Peter. And continuing in faith, discipleship, gratitude, and praise bring others to know the Jesus who has saved us all. Men and women who truly understand Christ's gift and act and live accordingly will change the world around them in the power of Christ. It's easy to wring our hands in days like today and wonder, oh, what a society, and what can we do? What can be done? That's what can be done. 2,000 years ago, God used the most unlikely and obscure people to change their world forever. Once again, like then, he is calling us to act on our faith and share the good news of what he has done for us. So this morning, let's renew our commitment to answer the call. Our King, Jesus, leads us on. Christ, who has given us all things freely. This has been a podcast from Grace Church of Mabton. For more information, visit our website at mabtongbc.org.